I'm Evan Knappen, and it's time for your Gun Lawyer Conference Call. You know, I was watching the uh, hearings, as I'm sure many of you were, with Amy Coney Barrett, and I thought it was, they. I, she's fantastic. Oh, man, we are just blessed to have someone like her, and not only because she's a, a student of the great Scalia, but because she is an originalist. What that means is she will interpret the Constitution as our founders meant it to be interpreted, and not this garbage of the Constitution being a living document. Okay, it's not a living document. Okay, no document is living. It's not living. What it is, is a solid foundation of our laws, and it needs to be applied in the manner that it was originally designed to be applied. And to get someone like Amy Coney Barrett replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, good grief, the opposite, the activist judge, the judge that interprets a constitution under today's standards that are often insane and to apply that it's not at all what the kind look this is super important and and yet what really thrilled me just totally thrilled me is that judge barrett was asked in her questionnaire for a you know being uh vetted here by the senate on her to become a justice on the supreme court what she felt one of her most significant cases, significant opinions she's ever written. What is it? And that was just awesome what she said. Because what she said is that her dissent in Cantor versus Barr, which was a Seventh Circuit decision, her dissent in that case was what she considered to be uh, one of her most significant decision. And think about how many cases she's ruled on, and how many things you know she covered in her in her legal tenure so far, from you know qualified immunity and employment disability and hostile work environment claims and interpretation of federal immigration laws, and yet her choice was her dissent in Cantor, which is awesome. Because what was Cantor? Cantor involved an individual who had been convicted of a, of a felony for selling a bad shoe insert, okay? A shoe insert that apparently had not been approved by the uh, FDA and they charged him with a fraud in this regard. And he became a felon for this non-violent, you know, shoe insert offense. Okay. And he said, look, why am I permanently disbarred of my right to have a gun over a felony conviction which was non-violent and involved nothing having to do with guns or threat to anybody's life or limb, none of that. And Judge Barrett wrote this great dissent 
saying why this should not be a bar to him, that this felony conviction should not stop, take away his right to have a firearm. Now, this was a dissent because the other judges disagreed with her. But that just shows you the guts, the balls, the commitment to her philosophy of the Constitution, her dedication to the actual Constitution, to write this dissent and to, in effect, say that not all felons should lose their right to have a gun. And if you watch the hearings, you saw the anti-gun left senators trying to go at her on this, trying to paint a picture, oh, you think felons should have guns, and just painting it like she's going to be arming, you know, Charles Manson or something, which is hardly the case. But I want to go a little deeper here because there's an issue that is not being portrayed here in a way that it should be, and, and it's important. It really is because when it comes to felons, not being able to own guns, I think an average citizen can see the absolute unfairness in somebody losing a constitutional right when, first of all, they paid their debt to society, okay? They, they did their time for the crime. They paid their price. And yet there's this continuing price on their head that they have to pay for the rest of their life in terms of a loss of a fundamental right. And on its face, that seems pretty outrageous. And you know, when the gun control laws, the federal gun laws were put forward, particularly in 68, Gun Control Act, they added a provision called relief from disabilities okay it is a relief from disabilities is something under title us title 18 of the us code section 925 and what it does is it allows felons convicted felons to apply to get a restoration of their gun rights to get a relief from the disability the disability being the ban or bar on them to ever possess a gun. And there's an entire process laid out under Title 18, 925, to do this. And this has also been uh, put in by way of uh, regulation on how to do it. And it requires a showing, by the way, by the uh, person you apply to the BATF, and you have to put forward, in essentially prove that you're now a good a good person. You've reformed, rehabilitated. You've been of uh, you now are uh, you know an asset to society and not a detriment. And if you could put forward this to the satisfaction of the BATF that you are now a person who should have their rights restored and no longer a danger in any way to public health, safety, or welfare, then you could get your rights restored. And that's very much an American 
an American idea because in America, you know, we're, we're the land of second chances, all right? And even in our Western philosophy of the West, many times the bad guys became the good guys, right? Like, they're not all bad. And at times, and people change, right? Don't we agree people change? Don't we agree people can have redemption? Don't we believe that you're not always going to be arguably the felon who should be barred? And, and there are people maybe who should always be barred, people who are violent, people who are really dangerous and a problem to society, and they, they should not get the relief. But there are plenty that should, especially those with nonviolent offenses to begin with that have no history of violence, that have rehabilitated themselves. This is in the law so that you can do this. But guess what, folks? In 1992, Charles Schumer put forward his law that stopped the appropriation of funds to fund this program since 1992. And since then, it has not been funded in any appropriations bill. And the court, even the Supreme Court, when all the Supreme Court said, if it's not funded, then it, the program is essentially dead. So even though this law is on the books that such individuals could get relief, they actually cannot get the relief. And they cannot get it because of Charles Schumer and the Democrats. And what's interesting is watching the Barrett hearings, you saw the Democrats absolutely pursuing the idea that all felons should be banned from having guns, all felons, and that that's it. And how could Amy Comey Barrett as a judge even write such a dissent allowing someone like Cantor to possess a gun, Mr. with the bad shoe implant thing, shoes. I mean, ridiculousness, right? And that's bad enough on its surface until you look deeper. And when you look deeper, then the issue becomes even more shocking. It's more shocking because of actions taken by our own federal government. And it has to do with the ratio of convicted felons and the racial makeup of felons. You see, you'll hear the left talk about, do you oppose white supremacy? You know, trying to always put, and, and yet they're the ones that founded the KKK. That's always cute. But this is the thing they do, you know, and they want to make out that, oh, the Republicans are racist. President Trump's racist. I mean, racist, racist, racist all over the place. And they, uh, you know, they, they oppose uh, anything for African-Americans or Hispanics. And, you know, you hear this all the time. And, and, and they're such good guys, the Democrats, on this. And they're out there to help, right? It's Republicans that are going to try to keep, keep you down, right? But in reality, it is the Democrats. And they will call this, at times, systemic racism. Maybe you heard the term. In other words, racism that's in the system, baked into the cake, if you will. And if you actually step back and look at what is systemic racism, 
I can show it to you right now because it's the gun laws themselves. You see, the federal government at one point brought a lawsuit against BMW and Dollar General for employment discrimination. And what was happening in, in those companies is individuals would apply for a job and they'd be all set to hire them and they'd be all set, all great, and they'd do a background check and they'd come up with a felony conviction. And the employer would, they would say, oh, no, no, sorry, we love you, but you're a convicted felon, we can't hire you. And the federal government went after the companies and said, look, that's racial discrimination. That's discrimination. Like, what do you mean? It's just No, because the government argued it's because blacks are six times more likely than whites to be convicted felons. And Hispanics are two times more likely than whites to be convicted felons. And therefore, it's discriminatory if you're going to have a standard that says you won't hire any felons. It's discriminatory against blacks at a ratio of six to one and against Hispanics, two to one. And that's the government saying that in that case. Well, let's take their argument and apply it to what I just said about firearms. When we have a felon prohibition law, then what you're saying is that you agree with discriminating against blacks having guns at a ratio six to one on whites and Hispanics two to one compared to whites. And that is exactly what the Democrats espouse. It's what they fight for. It's what they were so offended at Amy Coney Barrett for daring to have a dissent that someone should not lose their rights. It is the Charles Schumer who stopped the relief from disability so that minorities at a ratio six to one and two to one could get their rights back. Think about it. Even if we say, well, look, felons on the face shouldn't have guns, but if they're not violent and rehabilitated and good people and have proven themselves valuable to society and no longer an issue, they should still be able to get their gun. No, no, denied. And that means no black in that six to one ratio or Hispanic has the ability to even get their rights back. And that, my friend, is systemic racism. It stops these minorities at that ratio from having jobs in security, in the military, in police, anything that involves dealing with, carrying, owning a firearm. They're precluded forever and can't get a restoration because of Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. So, you want to see systemic racism? Look no further than to the gun laws. And do you really think that that is what our founding fathers meant? No way. So, let's be happy that Amy Barrett is on her way to the Supreme Court and will be Justice Barrett. Hopefully we can make progress toward getting rights restoration back for America. One, two, ready, go. For over 20 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. 
a fearsome courtroom litigator. One of the first lawyers to ever get a federal injunction against a state gun law. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman, tearing away at the anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on New Jersey Gun Law, the bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner in New Jersey. That's what's made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number on a post-it note in your wallet and hope you'll never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. Keep his number with you always. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. All right. You know, I want to talk to you about loopholes. We got, we got an interesting loophole here to discuss today because it's in the news and it's creating a specter that may or may not create all kinds of problems. And the loophole that I'm talking about is the what is affectionately known as an arm brace. Now, what is an arm brace, a pistol arm brace? And, I, and I'm going to tell you here, what, what we're dealing with first is is you need to understand that the federal government under the National Firearms Act, they have restrictions on what are called SBRs. Now, what's an SBR? An SBR means short barrel rifle. And a short barrel rifle is regulated under the NFA, the National Firearms Act. Short barrel rifles are shoulder-fired rifles that have a barrel length that's less than 16 inches. And if you have such a firearm, then it is the equivalent in federal law as having a machine gun. It's National Firearm Act regulated. So SBRs are pretty handy because it allows for a rifle having a shorter barrel to be much more effective, particularly in close quarters, not the least of which your home. Think about it. If you want to defend your home and you have a rifle to defend and you don't have a big honking long barrel on it, you can use it much more effectively uh, in your home, in your bedroom, going through doorways, etc., you know, with that rifle. And the crazy thing is the short barrel rifle means it has a stock. So you can hug it up with your face on it with the stock, and yet you got that short barrel so that you're not getting in the way and it's very maneuverable. And 
by having the stock on the short barrel rifle, you have more accuracy. Imagine that, more accurate. Now, here's the thing. Don't you think being accurate is a good thing, not only in terms of being able to save your life so that you hit what you're aiming at, but also in terms of safety, right? Because if you, if you miss and your shots are going wild and you can't aim well, then that's adding to the danger of having to use a firearm in your home at all, right? So this is really one of the more foolish things that our government does, and that's to create really difficult restrictions on a firearm that has more accuracy. And the reason you say more, more than what? Well, more than a pistol. Because if you have a firearm that does not have a stock on it, and it has a barrel shorter than 16 inches, and you hold it with one hand, well, what's that? That's a handgun, a pistol. And pistol shooting is much more difficult without the aid of a stock. Now, many of us love to pistol shoot, enjoy it, target shoot, even hunt, all that. It's all good with handguns, you get it. But if you can have a stock on your gun, then your accuracy is dramatically improved. You're able to be steadier and be able to uh, aim with careful fire braced by a stock. But our government says, oh, no, no, no. That is National Firearm Act. That falls under the 1934 Act and therefore a problem. And, and you see the government often doing this, passing laws where they actually ban something that's safer and better. They actually want to put us at a disadvantage. I'll give you another quick example. The, the federal ban on switchblades. Just as stupid. A switchblade is a knife that opens by pushing a button or other device in the handle and it opens automatically. That's switchblade, right? And the switchblade, oh, well, they were banned in the 50s, 58 switchblade. Why? Well, they all knew that, you know, uh, they watched West Side Story and, uh, and knew that the, uh, they could stop and end youth violence if they banned a switchblade, right? I mean, that's what we got it to. So it was another symbol that they went after and created a federal prohibition restriction on the switchblade. And yet, the funny thing about a switchblade or what is commonly called an automatic knife is that knife not only opens by pushing a button, but it also locks closed. Most automatic knives all have a safety. So it actually locks closed, unlike just about any other pocket knife, which does not lock closed. And there's many, many uses where you need a knife for one-hand use. And to have a, a switchblade or an automatic knife that has a safety on it, you actually have a safer knife than a folding knife without a safety that could open when you drop it or try to open it and drop it. But a safe knife is one that has a safety, locks closed. So here the federal government has banned the safer knife. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So this is where we're at with SBRs. The government stops and bans and creates 
a whole lot of restriction over an individual that wants to have a rifle with a barrel that is shorter than 16 inches. Well, this frustrated a lot of folks, and along comes some American ingenuity, and a loophole is found. And the loophole that is found is called an arm brace. And the arm brace was designed to go on the back of a handgun. Attaches, there are multiple ways these things can attach, depending on the type of handgun you have. And it extends out and has what is a bracing buttstock, if you will. And it's a brace, but it acts like that. But it's a, it has two pieces, and there's different ways that they'll they'll wrap around your arm, whether Velcro or just by pressure. And the idea of the brace was that it could strap to your arm or wrap or lock in so that your pistol is more steady by having the brace. But what folks soon found out is that if you have the brace on it and you shoulder the handgun, well, my, my, it's virtually a short barrel rifle, isn't it? Because now you're shooting from the shoulder in the way you would with an SBR, but it doesn't have a stock on it. It has a pistol brace, and the barrel shorter than eight than 16 inches, not because it's a rifle, but because it's a pistol. And there you go. A loophole is born, and I have happiness from that. And there are hundreds of thousands, probably a million, probably a million arm braces or more out there since this loophole was found. And we went through some things with ATF where they said at first you couldn't shoulder it. It was illegal if you shouldered the arm brace. Then they said, no, you still could shoulder the arm brace if you want to. And we've now been able to purchase not only these braces as accessories that you can put on various handguns, but many manufacturers just come straight out and sell their handguns with braces. And you can find that Ruger. Ruger, good old American Ruger company, right? Ruger does their PC9 charger. And they sell it with a brace or you buy it without the brace, but it has the back uh, Picatinny right on it, ready to just buy a brace and put it right on. The CZ Scorpion, right? The Evo. You can buy that right from the factory box with a brace right on it. And plenty of others, plenty of others. All kinds of AR pistols, even AK pistols with the brace. And they're extremely popular because it allows individuals to have the maneuverability in an area without having to have the clumsiness of the long-barreled rifle, you see, and still have the better ability to aim and handle the firearm. So these are extremely po popular and have been out there now in huge numbers. And lo and behold, one such firearm was the Honey Badger, which was an AR-type firearm that had 
a pistol brace that was actually engineered and made by one of the top pistol brace uh, manufacturers, SB Tactical. And lo and behold, I don't know if the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing or whatever the deal was at ATF, they sent Honey Badger a cease and desist letter. That this is this firearm with this brace is an SBR, not a pistol with an arm brace. Oh boy. So that created a ton of turmoil. Because if the honey badger is a problem, what about all these others? And now here's ATF up to their old tricks. Administratively find that something's perfectly legal. Let it get out there, let people buy it, let people enjoy it, let people appreciate it, own them, and then reverse yourself. So now you got to go get all these, and they're all now a problem. And man, talk about make work. That's the way they make work for themselves, that's for sure. Big time. So they send this out, and now people are nervous because, you know, there's honey badger owners that are, of course, not happy at all. And then everybody else with arm braces that have invested in them and have great firearms and use them and appreciate them. Now all that's in jeopardy. And there was a big uproar, big uproar about the arm brace. And it's so utilitarian and a wonderful idea, but now it's in jeopardy. And what do we see? Well, what did ATF just do? Lo and behold, they, they suspended the cease and desist, they suspended it for 60 days. Oh, how convenient. They suspended this until after the election, folks. Gee, that wasn't too calculated. Right, and I wonder why they might do that. Do you think they might do that because if Dementia Joe gets elected, who is bought and paid for, by Bloomberg and company and all the anti-gunners and his whole platform. Oh, I think I see where they're going to go with this one, folks. And all these people that have arm braces and every, every gun that was uh, made that has one of these things now will be the equivalent of unlawful possession of a machine gun. This is what's in store, so one thing, make sure you vote. Can't be more important. All right, till we meet again, this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.